Section 66 of London Labour and the London Poor, Volume 2, by Henry Mayhew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gillian Hendry. Of the Chimney Sweepers of the Present Day The chimney sweepers of the present day are distinguished from those of old by the use of machines, instead of climbing boys, for the purpose of removing the soot from the flues of houses. The chimney-sweeping machines were first used in this country in the year 1803. They were the invention of Mr. Smart, a carpenter, residing at the foot of Westminster Bridge, Surrey. On the earlier trials of the machine, which was similar to that used at present, and which I shall shortly describe, it was pronounced successful in 99 cases out of 100, according to some accounts, but failing where sharp angles occurred in the flue, which arrested its progress. Means have been suggested, said Mr. Took, formerly mentioned, in his evidence before a committee of the House of Commons, for obviating that difficulty by fixed apparatus at the top of the flue with a jack chain and pulley by which a brush could be worked up and down, or it could be done as is customary abroad, as I have repeatedly seen it at Petersburgh, and heard of its being done universally on the continent, by letting down a bullet with a brush attached to it from the top, but to obviate the inconvenience, which is considerable, from persons going upon the roof of a house, Mr. John White, Jr., an eminent surveyor, has suggested the expediency of putting iron shutters or registers to each flue in the roof or cockloft of each house, by opening which, and working the machine upwards and downwards, or letting down the bullet, which is the most compendious manner, the chimney will be most effectually cleansed, and by its aperture at bottom being kept well closed, it would be done with the least possible dirt and inconvenience to the family. The Society for the Supersedence of the Labour of Climbing Boys promoted the adoption of the machines by all the means in their power, presenting the new instrument gratuitously to several master sweepers, who were too poor to purchase it. Experiments were made and duly published as to the effectual manner in which the chimneys at Guildhall, the Mansion House, the then new Custom House, Dulwich College, and in other public edifices, had been cleansed by the machine. But these statements seem to have produced little effect. People thought, perhaps, that the mechanical means which might very well cleanse the chimneys of large public buildings and it was said that the chimneys of the Custom House were built with a view to the use of the machine, might not be so serviceable for the same purposes in small private dwellings. Experiments continued to be made, often in the presence of architects, of the more respectable sweepers, and of ladies and gentlemen who took a philanthropic interest in the question, between the years 1803 and 1817, but with little influence upon the general public, for in 1817 Mr. Smart supposed that there were but 50 or 60 machines in general use in the metropolis, and those, it appeared from the evidence of several master sweepers, were used chiefly in gentlemen's houses, many of those gentlemen having to be authoritative with their servants, who, if not controlled, always preferred the services of the climbing boys. Most servants had perquisites from the master sweepers, in the largest and most profitable ways of business, and they seemed to fear the loss of those perquisites if any change took place. The opposition in Parliament, and in the great indifference of the people, to the efforts of the friends of the climbing boy, to supersede his painful labours by the use of machinery, was formidable enough, but that of the servants appears to have been more formidable still. Mr. Smart showed this in his explanations to the committee, the whole result of his experience was that servants set their faces against the introduction of the machine, grumbling if there were not even the appearance of dirt on the furniture after its use. The first winter I went out with this machine, said Mr. Smart. I went to Mr. Burke's in Tokenhouse Yard, who was a friend of mine, with a man to sweep the chimneys, and after waiting above an hour in a cold morning, the housekeeper came down quite in a rage that we should presume to ring the bell or knock at the door, and when we got admittance, she swore she wished the machine and the inventor at the devil. She did not know me. We swept all the chimneys, and when we had done, I asked her what objection she had to it now. She said, 
a very serious one, that if there was a thing by which a servant could get any emolument, some damned invention was sure to take it away from them, for that she received perquisites. This avowal of Mr. Burke's housekeeper, as brusque as it was honest, is typical of the feelings of the whole class of servants. The opposition in Parliament, as I have intimated, continued. One noble lord informed the House of Peers that he had been indisposed of late, and had sought the aid of calomel, the curative influence of which had pervaded every portion of his frame, and that it as far surpassed the less searching powers of other medicines as the brush of the climbing boy in cleansing every nook and corner of the chimney surpassed all the power of the machinery, which left the soot unpurged from those nooks and corners. The House of Commons, however, had expressed its conviction that as long as master chimney-sweepers were permitted to employ climbing boys, the natural result of that permission would be the continuance of those miseries which the legislature had sought, but which it had failed, to put an end to, and they therefore recommended that the use of climbing boys should be prohibited altogether, and that the age at which the apprenticeship should commence should be extended from eight to fourteen, putting this trade upon the same footing as others which took apprentices at that age. This resolution became law in 1829. The employment of climbing boys in any manner in the interior of chimneys was prohibited under penalties of fine and imprisonment, and it was enacted that the new measure should be carried into effect in three years, so giving the master sweepers that period of time to complete their arrangements. During the course of the experiments and inquiry, the sweepers as a body seem to have thrown no obstacles, or very few and slight obstacles, in the way of the Committee to Promote the Superseding of the Labour of Climbing Boys. While the most respectable of the class, or the majority of the respectable, aided the efforts of the committee. This manifestation of public feeling probably modified the opposition of the sweepers, and unquestionably influenced the votes of members of Parliament. The change in the operations of the chimney-sweeping business took place in 1832, as quietly and unnoticedly, as if it were no change at all. The machine now in use differs little from that invented by Mr. Smart, the first introduced, but lighter materials are now used in its manufacture. It has not been found necessary, however, to complicate its use with the jack-chain and pulley, and bullet with a brush attached, and the iron shutters or registers in the roof or cockloft, of which Mr. Took spoke. The machine is formed of a series of hollow rods, made of a supple cane, bending and not breaking in any sinuosity of the flues. This cane is made of the same material as gentlemen's walking sticks. The first machines were made of wood and were liable to be broken, and to enable the sweeps on such occasion to recover the broken part, a strong line ran from bottom to top through the centre of the sticks, which were bored for the purpose, and strung on this cord. The cane machine, however, speedily and effectually superseded these imperfect instruments, and there are now none of them to be met with. To the top tube of the machine is attached the brush, called technically the head, of elastic whalebone spikes, which give and bend in accordance with the up or down motion communicated by the man working the machine, so sweeping what was described to me as both ways, up and down. Some of these rods, which fit into one another by means of brass screws, are four feet six inches long, and diminish in diameter to suit their adjustment. Some rods are but three feet six inches long, and four feet is the full average length while the average price at the machine-makers is two shillings sixpence a rod if bought separately. The head costs ten shillings, on an average, if bought separately. It is seldom that a machine is required to number beyond seventeen rods, extending sixty-eight feet, and the better class of sweepers are generally provided with seventeen rods. The cost of the entire machine for every kind of chimney-work, when purchased new as a whole, is, when of good quality, from 30 shillings to 5 pounds, according to the number of rods, duplicate rods, and so on. Mr. Smith stated in 1817 that the average price of one of his machines was then 2 pounds 3 shillings. The sweepers who labour chiefly in the poorer localities, 
and several told me how indifferent many people in those parts were as to their chimneys being swept at all, rarely use a machine to extend beyond forty feet, or one composed of ten or eleven rods. But some of the inferior class of sweepers buy of those in a superior way of trade worn machines, at from a third to a half of their prime cost. These machines they trim up themselves. One portion of the work, however, they cannot repair or renew, the broken or worn-out brass screws of the rods, which they call the ferrules. These, when new, are one shilling each. There were, when the machine work was novel, I was informed, street artisans who went about repairing these screws or ferrules, but their work did not please the chimney-sweepers, and this street trade did not last above a year or two. The rods of the machine, when carefully attended to, last a long time. One man told me that he was still working some rods which he had worked since 1842, nine years, with occasional renewal of the ferrules. The head is either injured or worn down in about two years, if not well made at first, in a year. The diameter of this head or brush is on the average 18 inches. One of my informants had himself swept a chimney of 80 feet, and one of his fellow workers had said that he once swept a chimney of 120 feet high, in both cases by means of the machine. My informant, however, thought such a feat as the 120 feet sweep was hardly possible, as only one man's strength can be applied to the machine, and he was of opinion that no man's muscular powers would be sufficient to work a machine at a height of 120 feet. The labour is sometimes very severe. Enough, one strongly built man told me, to make your arms, head and heart ache. The old-fashioned chimneys are generally 12 by 14 inches in their dimensions in the interior, and for the thorough sweeping of such chimneys, the opinion of all the sweepers I saw according on the subject, a head, it is rarely called brush in the trade, of 18 inches diameter is insufficient, yet they are seldom used larger. One intelligent master sweeper, speaking from his own knowledge, told me that in the neighbourhood where he worked, Numbers of houses had been built since the introduction of the machines, and the chimneys were only nine inches square, as regards the interior. The smaller flues are sometimes but seven. These nine-inch chimneys, he told me, were frequent in scamped houses, houses got up at the lowest possible rate by speculating builders. This was done because the brickwork of the chimneys costs more than the other portions of the masonry and so the smaller the dimensions of the chimneys, the less the cost of the edifice. The machines are sometimes as much crippled in this circumscribed space as they are found of insufficient dimensions in the old-fashioned chimneys, and so the scamped chimney, unless by a master having many heads, is not so cleanly swept as it might be. Chimneys not built in this manner are now usually nine inches by fourteen. In cleansing a chimney with the machine, the sweep stands by, or rather in, the fireplace, having first attached a sort of curtain to the mantle to confine the soot to one spot, the operator standing inside this curtain. He first introduces the head, attached to its proper rod, into the chimney, driving it forward, then screws on the next rod, and so on, until the head has been driven to the top of the chimney. The soot which has fallen upon the hearth, within the curtain, is collected into a sack or sacks, and is carried away on the men's backs, and occasionally in carts. The whalebone spikes of the head are made to extend in every direction, so that when it is moved, no part of the chimney, if the surface be even, escapes contact with these spikes, if the work be carefully done, as indeed it generally is. For the cleaner the chimney is swept, of course the greater amount of soot adds to the profit of the sweeper. One man told me that he thought he had seen in some old big chimneys a long time unswept, more soot brought down by the machine than under similar circumstances as to the time the chimney had remained uncleansed would have been done by the climbing boy. All the master sweepers I saw concurred in the opinion that the machine was not, in all respects, so effective a sweeper as the climbing boy, as it does not reach the recesses, nooks, crannies, or holes in the chimney, 
where the soot remains little disturbed by the present process. This want is felt the most in the cleansing of the old-fashioned chimneys, especially in the country. Mr. Cook, in 1817, stated to the committee that the cleansing of a chimney by a boy or by a machine occupied the same space of time, but I find the general opinion of the sweepers now to be that it is only the small and straight chimneys which can be swept with as great celerity by a machine as by a climber. In all others, the lad was quicker by about five minutes in thirty, or in that proportion. I heard sweepers represent that the passing of the Act of Parliament not only deprived them in many instances of the unexpired term of a boy's apprenticeship in his services as a climber, but threw open the business to any one. The business, however, it seems, was always open to any one. There was no art nor mystery in it as regarded the functions of the master. Any one could send a boy up a chimney and collect and carry away the soot he brought down quite as readily and far more easily than he can work a machine. Nevertheless, men under the old system could hardly, and some say they were forbidden to, embark in this trade unless they had been apprenticed to it, for they were at a loss how to possess themselves of climbing boys and how to make a connection. When the machines were introduced, however, a good many persons who were able to raise the price of one started in the line on their own account. These men have been called by the old hands leeks or greenuns to distinguish them from the regularly trained men who pride themselves not a little on the fact of their having served seven or eight years duly and truly, as they never fail to express it. This increase of fresh hands tended to lower the earnings of the class, and some masters who were described to me as formerly very comfortable, and some, comparatively speaking, rich, were considerably reduced by it. The number of leaks in 1832 I heard stated, with the exaggeration to which I have been accustomed, when uninformed men, ignorant of the relative value of numbers, have expressed their opinions, as 1,000. The several classes in the chimney-sweeping trade may be arranged as follows. The master chimney-sweepers, called sometimes governors by the journeymen, are divisible into three kinds. The large or high masters, who employ from two to ten men and two boys, and keep sometimes two horses and a cart, not particularly for the conveyance of the suit, but to go into the country to a gentleman's house to fulfil orders. The small or low masters, who employ on an average two men, and sometimes but one man and a boy, without either horse or cart. The single-handed mastermen, who employ neither men nor boys, but do all the work themselves. Of these three classes of masters, there are two subdivisions. The leeks or greenons, that is to say, those who have not regularly served their time to the trade. The nullers or queriers, that is to say, those who solicit custom in an irregular manner by knocking at the doors of houses and such like. Of the competition of capitalists in this trade, there are, I am told, no instances. We have our own stations one master sweeper said, and if I contract to sweep a gentleman's house here in Pancras for twenty-five shillings a year, or ten shillings, or anything, my nearest neighbour, as has men and machines fit, is in Maribon, and it wouldn't pay to send his men a mile and a half, or on to two mile, and work at what I can, let alone less. No, sir, I've known business nigh twenty year, and there's nothing in the way of that underworking. The poor creatures as keeps their cells with a machine, and nothing to give them a lift beyond it, they'd undertake work at any figure, but nobody employs or can trust to them but on chance. The contracts, I am told, for a year's chimney-sweeping in any mansion are on the same terms with one master as with another. As regards the journeyman chimney-sweepers, there are also three kinds. The foreman, or first journeyman sweeper, who accompanies the men to their work, superintends their labours, and receives the money when paid immediately after sweeping. The journeyman sweeper, whose duty it is to work the machine, and, where no under-journeyman or boy is kept, to carry the machine and take home the suit. The under-journeyman or boy, who has to carry the machine, take home the suit, 
and work the machine up the lower-class flues. There are besides these some twenty climbing men who ascend such flues as the machines cannot cleanse effectually, and it must, I regret to say, be added some twenty to thirty climbing boys, mostly under eleven years of age, who are still used for the same purpose on the sly. Many of the masters indeed lament the change to machine sweeping, saying that their children, who are now useless, would, in the good old times, have been worth a pound a week to them. It is in the suburbs that these climbing children are mostly employed. The hours of labour are from the earliest morning till about midday, and sometimes later. There are no houses of call, trade societies, or regulations among these operatives, but there are low public houses to which they resort, and where they can always be heard of. When a chimney-sweeper is out of work, he merely inquires of others in the same line of business, who, if they know of any one that wants a journeyman, direct their brother-sweeper to call and see the master. But though the chimney-sweepers have no trade societies, some of the better class belong to sick, and others to burial funds. The lower class of sweepers, however, seem to have no resource in sickness, or in their utmost need, but the parish. There are sweepers, I am told, in every workhouse in London. There are three modes of payment common among the sweepers. One, in money. Two, partly in money and partly in kind. And three, by perquisites. The great majority of the masters pay the men they employ from two shillings to three shillings, and a few four shillings and six shillings per week, together with their board and lodging. It may seem that three shillings per week is a small sum, but it was remarked to me that there are few working men who, after supporting themselves, are able to save that sum weekly, while the sweepers have many perquisites, of one sort or other, which sometimes bring them in one shilling, two shillings, three shillings, four shillings, and occasionally five shillings or six shillings a week, additional, a sufficient sum to pay for clothes and washing. The journeymen, when lodged in the house of the master, are single men, and if constantly employed, might perhaps do well, but they are often unemployed, especially in the summer, when there are not so many fires kept burning. As soon as one of them gets married, or what among them is synonymous, takes up with a woman, which they commonly do when they are able to purchase some sort of a machine, they set up for themselves, and thus a great number of the men get to be masters on their own account, without being able to employ any extra hands. These are generally reckoned among the nullers. They do but little business at first, for the masters long established in a neighbourhood, who are known to the people, and have some standing, are almost always preferred to those who are strangers or mere beginners. It was very common, but perhaps more common in country towns than in London, for the journeymen as well as apprentices, in this and many other trades, to live at the master's table but the board and lodging supplied, in lieu of money wages, to the journeyman sweepers, seems to be one of the few existing instances of such a practice in London. Among slop-working tailors and shoemakers, some unfortunate workmen are boarded and lodged by their employers, but these employers are merely middlemen, who gain their living by serving such masters as do not like to drive their negroes themselves. But among the sweepers there are no middlemen. It is not all the journeyman sweepers, however, who are remunerated after this manner, for many receive twelve shillings and some fourteen shillings, and not a few eighteen shillings weekly, besides perquisites, but reside at their own homes. Apprenticeship is now not at all common among the sweepers, as no training to the business is needed. Lord Shaftesbury, however, in July last, gave notice of his intention to bring in a bill to prevent persons who had not been duly apprenticed to the business establishing themselves as sweepers. The perquisites of the journeyman sweepers are for measuring, arranging, and putting the suit sold into the purchaser's sacks or carts, for this is considered extra work. The payment of this perquisite seems to be on no fixed scale, some having one shilling for fifty and some for one hundred bushels. When a chimney is on fire and a journeyman sweeper is employed to extinguish it, he receives from one shilling sixpence to five shillings, 
according to the extent of time consumed and the risk of being injured. Chance sweeping, or the sweeping of a chimney not belonging to a customer, when a journeyman has completed his regular round, ensures him threepence in some employments, but in fewer than was once the case. The beer money given by any customer to a journeyman is also his perquisite. Where a foreman is kept, the breeze or cinders collected from the grate belong to him, and the ashes belong to the journeyman. But where there is no foreman, the breeze and ashes belong to the journeyman solely. These they sell to the poor at the rate of sixpence a bushel. I am told by experienced men that all these matters considered, it may be stated that one half of the journeymen in London have perquisites of one shilling sixpence, the other half of two shilling sixpence a week. The nominal wages to the journeymen, then, are from twelve shillings to eighteen shillings weekly, without board and lodging, or from two shillings to six shillings in money with board and lodging, represented as equal to seven shillings. The actual wages are two shillings sixpence a week more in the form of perquisites, and perhaps fourpence daily in beer or gin. The wages to the boys are mostly one shilling a week, but many masters pay one shilling sixpence to two shillings, with board and lodging. These boys have no perquisites, except such bits of broken victuals as are given to them at houses where they go to sweep. The wages of the foreman are generally eighteen shillings per week, but some receive fourteen shillings and some twenty shillings, without board and lodging. In one case, where the foreman is kept by the master, only two shillings sixpence in money is given to him weekly. The perquisites of these men average from four shillings to five shillings a week. The work in the chimney-sweeping trade is more regular than might at first be supposed. The sweepers, whose circumstances enable them to employ journeymen, send them on regular rounds, and do not engage chance hands. If business is brisk, the men and the master, when a working man himself, work later than ordinary, and sometimes another hand is put on and paid the customary amount, by the week, until the briskness ceases. But this is a rare occurrence. There are, however, strong lads or journeymen out of work who are occasionally employed in jobbing, helping to carry the suit and such like. The labour of the journeymen, as regards the payment by their masters, is continuous, but the men are often discharged for drunkenness or for endeavouring to form a connection of their own among their employer's customers, and new hands are then put on. "'Chimneys won't wait, you know, sir,' was said to me, "'and if I quit a hand this week, there's another in his place next. "'If I discharge a hand for three months in a slack time, "'I have two on when it's a busy time.' Perhaps the average employment of the whole body of operatives may be taken at nine months' work in the year. When out of employment, the chief resource of these men is in night work, some turn street-sellers and bricklayers' labourers. I am told that a considerable sum of money was left for the purpose of supplying every climbing boy who called on the 1st of May at a certain place, with a shilling and some refreshment, but I have not been able to ascertain by whom it was left, or where it was distributed. None of the sweepers with whom I conversed knew anything about it. I also heard that since the passing of the Act, the money has been invested in some securities or other, and is now accumulating, but to what purpose it is intended to be applied I have no means of learning. Let us now endeavour to estimate the gross yearly income of the operative sweepers. There are then 399 men employed as journeymen, and of them 147 receive a money wage weekly from their masters, and reside with their parents or at their own places. The remaining 252 are boarded and lodged. This board and lodging are generally computed, as under the old system, to represent eight shillings, being one shilling a day for board and one shilling a week for lodging. But on the average, the board does not cost the masters seven shillings a week, but as I shall afterwards show, barely six shillings. The men and boys may be said to be all fully employed for nine months in the year. Some, of course, are at work all the year through, but others only get six months' employment in the twelve months. So that taking nine months as the average, 
we have the following table of wages paid to the operative sweepers of London. Journeymen without board and lodging. 30 journeymen employed by three masters at 18 shillings per week. Money wages for nine months, £1,053. 14 employed by five masters at 16 shillings per week, £436.16. Shillings. 6 employed by three masters at 15 shillings per week, £175.10. Shillings. 27 employed by eight masters at 14 shillings per week, £737.2. Shillings. 63 employed by 23 masters at 12 shillings per week, £1,474.4. Shillings. 7 employed by three masters at 10 shillings per week, £136.10. Shillings. In total, 147 journeymen employed by 45 masters. Total money wages, £4,013.2. Shillings. With board and lodging, Three journeymen employed by one master at eight shillings per week. Money wages for nine months, £46.16. Shillings. Value of board and lodging for nine months, estimated at seven shillings a week, £40.19. Shillings. Seventeen employed by five masters at six shillings per week. Money wage, £198.18. Shillings. Value of board and lodging, two hundred and thirty two pounds one shilling one employed by one master at five shillings per week money wages nine pounds fifteen shillings value of board and lodging thirteen pounds thirteen shillings forty one employed by fourteen masters at four shillings per week money wages three hundred and nineteen pounds sixteen shillings value of board and lodging five hundred and fifty nine pounds thirteen shillings 3. Employed by one master at 3 shillings sixpence per week. Money wages 20 pounds 9 shillings sixpence. Value of board and lodging 40 pounds 19 shillings. 80. Employed by 39 masters at 3 shillings per week. Money wages 468 pounds. Value of board and lodging 1092 pounds. 53. Employed by 26 masters at two shillings sixpence per week. Money wages two hundred and fifty eight pounds seven shillings sixpence. Value of board and lodging seven hundred and twenty three pounds nine shillings. Forty four employed by thirty one masters at two shillings per week. Money wages one hundred and seventy one pounds twelve shillings. Value of board and lodging six hundred pounds nine shillings eightpence. 8. Employed by 4 masters at 1 shilling 6 pence per week. Money wages £234. Value of board and lodging £109.4. 2. Employed by 1 master at 1 shilling per week. Money wages £3.18. Value of board and lodging £27.6. In total, 252 journeymen employed by 123 masters. Total money wages for nine months, £1,731.12. shillings. Total value of board and lodging for nine months, £3,439.13. shillings. Foreman, without board and lodging. Two foremen employed by one master at 20 shillings per week. Money wages, £78. Six foremen employed by four masters at 18 shillings per week. £210.12 shillings. One foreman employed by one master at 16 shillings per week, £31.04 shillings. Two foremen employed by two masters at 14 shillings per week, £54.12 shillings. In total, 11 foremen employed by eight masters. Total money wages, £374.08 shillings. Foreman with board and lodging. One foreman employed by one master at two shillings sixpence per week. Money wages four pounds seventeen shillings sixpence. Value of board and lodging for nine months thirteen pounds thirteen shillings. Boys without board and lodging. Two boys employed by one master at ten shillings per week. Money wages thirty nine pounds. 
boys with board and lodging, one boy employed by one master at three shillings per week, money wages five pounds seventeen shillings, board and lodging estimated at six shillings a week, eleven pounds fourteen shillings. One boy employed by one master at two shillings sixpence per week, money wages four pounds seventeen shillings sixpence, board and lodging eleven pounds fourteen shillings. Nine boys employed by eight masters at two shillings per week, money wages thirty five pounds two shillings, board and lodging one hundred and five pounds six shillings. Fourteen boys employed by fourteen masters at one shilling sixpence per week. Money wages forty pounds nineteen shillings, board and lodging one hundred and sixty three pounds sixteen shillings. Thirty boys employed by twenty eight masters at one shilling per week. Money wages fifty eight pounds ten shillings, board and lodging three hundred and fifty one pounds. One boy employed by one master at nine pence per week. Money wages one pound nine shillings threepence. Board and lodging eleven pounds fourteen shillings. Four boys employed by two masters at zero per week. Money wages zero. Board and lodging forty six pounds sixteen shillings. In total, sixty two boys employed by fifty four masters. Total money wages for nine months one hundred and forty six pounds fourteen shillings nine pence. Total value of board and lodging for nine months. Seven hundred and two pounds. Total earnings six thousand three hundred and nine pounds fourteen shillings threepence. Total for board, lodging, and so on four thousand one hundred and fifty five pounds six shillings eightpence. Grand total ten thousand four hundred and sixty five pounds eleven pence. Thus we find that the constant or average casual wages of the several classes of operative chimney sweepers may be taken as follows. Journeymen without board and lodging and with perquisites averaging two shillings a week, twelve shillings sixpence. Journeymen with board and lodging and two shillings a week perquisites, nine shillings tenpence halfpenny. Foreman without board and lodging at two shillings sixpence a week perquisites, Fifteen shillings sevenpence. Boys with board and lodging, five shillings threepence. The general wages of the trade, including foremen, journeymen, and boys, and calculating the perquisites to average two shillings weekly, will be ten shillings sixpence a week, the same as the cotton factory operatives. But if ten thousand five hundred pounds be the income of the operatives, what do the employers receive who have to pay this sum? The charge for sweeping one of the lofty chimneys in the public and official edifices and in the great houses in the aristocratic streets and squares is two shillings sixpence and three shillings sixpence. The chimneys of moderate-sized houses are swept at one shilling to one shilling sixpence each and those of the poorer classes are charged generally sixpence. Some, however, are swept at threepence and fourpence. And when soot realised a higher price, some of the present master sweepers have sold it at one shilling a bushel. The chimneys of poor persons were swept by the poorer class of sweeps merely for the perquisite of the soot. This is sometimes done even now, but to a very small extent, by a sweeper on his own hook, and in want of a job, but generally with an injunction to the person whose chimney has been cleansed on such easy terms not to mention it, as it couldn't be made a practice on. Estimating the number of houses belonging to the wealthy classes of society to be 54,000, and these to be swept eight times a year, and the charge for sweeping to be two shillings sixpence each time, and the number of houses belonging to the middle classes to be 90,000, and each to be swept four times a year at one shilling sixpence each time, and the dwellings of the poor and labouring classes to be swept once a year at sixpence each time, and the number of such dwellings to be 165,000. We find that the total sum paid to the master chimney sweepers of London is, in round numbers, £85,000. The sum obtained for 800,000 bushels of soot collected by the master sweepers from the houses of London at five pence per bushel 
is £16,500. Thus, the total annual income of the Master Sweepers of London is £100,000. Out of this £100,000 per annum, the expenses of the Master Sweepers would appear to be as follows. Yearly expenditure of the Master Sweepers Sum paid in wages to 473 journeymen, £10,500. Rent and so on of 350 houses or lodgings at £12 yearly each, £4,200. Wear and tear of 1,000 machines, £1 each yearly, £1,000. Ditto 2,000 sacks at one shilling each yearly, £100. Keep of 25 horses, 7 shillings weekly each, £455. Wear and tear of 25 carts and harnesses, £1 each, £25. Interest on capital at 10%, £450. Total yearly expenditure of master sweepers employing journeymen, £16,736. The rent here given may seem low at £12 a year, but many of the chimney sweepers live in parlours with cellars below, in old out-of-the-way places at a low rental, in Stepney, Shadwell, Wapping, Bethnal Green, Hoxton, Locksfields, Walworth, Newington, Islington, Somerstown, Paddington, and so on. The better sort of master sweepers at the West End often live in a muse. The gains, then, of the master sweepers are as under. Annual income for cleansing chimneys and soot, £100,000. Expenditure for wages, rent, wear and tear, keep of horses, and so on, say £20,000. Annual profit of master chimney sweepers of London, £80,000. This amount of profit, divided among 350 masters, gives about £230 per annum to each individual. It is only by a few, however, that such a sum is realised, as in the £100,000 paid by the London public to the sweeper's trade is included the sum received by the men who work single-handed, on their own hook, as they say, employing no journeymen. Of these men's earnings, the accounts I heard from themselves and the other master sweepers were all accordant, that they barely made journeymen's wages. They have the very worst paid portion of the trade, receiving neither for their sweeping nor their suit the prices obtained by the better masters. Indeed, they very frequently sell their suit to their more prosperous brethren. Their general statement is that they make 18 pence a day, and all told. Their receipts then, and they have no perquisites as have the journeymen, are in a slack time about one shilling a day, and some days they do not get a job. But in the winter they are busier, as it is then that sweepers are employed by the poor, and at that period the master men may make from 15 shillings to 20 shillings a week each, so that, I am assured, the average of their weekly takings may be estimated at 12 shillings sixpence. Now, deducting the expenditure from the receipts of £100,000, for sweeping and soot. The balance, as we have seen, is £80,000, an amount of profit which, if equally divided among the three classes of the trade, will give the following sums. Profits of 150 single-handed mastermen, £32.10 shillings yearly each, £4,940 yearly in total. Profits of 92 small masters, £200 yearly each, £18,400 yearly in total. Profits of 106 large masters, £500 yearly each, £53,000 yearly in total. Total profits, £76,340. Nor is this estimate of the master's profits, I am assured, extravagant, one of the smaller sweepers, but a prosperous man in his way, told me that he knew a master sweeper who was as rich as Creaser, had bought houses, and could not write his own name. We have now but to estimate the amount of capital invested in the chimney sweeper's trade, and then to proceed to the characteristics of the men. 
1,200 machines, £2.10 shillings each, present average value, £3,000. 3,000 sacks, 2 shillings, 6 pence each, £385. 25 horses, £20 each, £500. 25 sets of harness, £2 each, £50. 25 carts, £12 each, £300. Total, £4,235. It may be thought that the sweepers will require the services of more than 25 horses, but I am assured that such is not the case as regards the soot business, for the soot is carted away from the sweeper's premises by the farmer or other purchaser. It would appear, then, that the facts of the chimney sweeper's trade are briefly as under. The gross quantity of soot collected yearly throughout London is 800,000 bushels. The value of this, sold as manure, at five pence per bushel, is £16,500. There are 800 to 900 people employed in the trade, 200 of whom are masters employing journeymen, 150 single-handed mastermen, and 470 journeymen and under-journeymen. The annual income of the entire number of journeymen is £10,500 without perquisites, or £13,000 with, which gives an average weekly wage to the operatives of 10 shillings sixpence. The annual income of the masters and leeks is, for sweeping and suit, £100,000. The annual expenditure of the masters for rent, keep of horses, wear and tear, and wages is £20,000. The gross annual profit of the 350 masters is £80,000, which is at the rate of about £35 per annum to each of the single-handed men, £200 to each of the smaller masters employing journeymen, and £500 to each of the larger masters. The capital of the trade is about £5,000. The price charged by the high master sweepers for cleansing the flues of a house rented at £150 a year and upwards is from one shilling to three shillings sixpence, the higher price being paid for sweeping those chimneys which have a hot plate affixed. A small master, on the other hand, will charge from one shilling to three shillings for the same kind of work, while a single-handed man seldom gets above a two-shilling job, and that not very often. The charge for sweeping the flues of a house rented at from £50 to £150 a year is from ninepence to two shillings sixpence by a large master and from eightpence to two shillings by a small master, while a single-handed man will take the job at from sixpence to one shilling sixpence. The price charged per flue for a house rented at from £20 a year up to £50 a year will average sixpence a flue charged by large masters fourpence by small masters, and from tuppence to threepence by the single-handed sweepers in some cases. Indeed, the poorest class will sweep a flue for the soot only. But the prices charged for sweeping chimneys differ in the different parts of the metropolis. I subjoin a list of the maximum and minimum charge for the several districts. Kensington and Hammersmith, fourpence to three shillings. Westminster, threepence to two shillings. Chelsea, fourpence to two shillings sixpence. St George's Hanover Square, sixpence to three shillings sixpence. St Martin's and St Anne's, fourpence to two shillings sixpence. St James's Westminster, threepence to two shillings sixpence. Marylebone, fourpence to two shillings sixpence. Paddington, threepence to two shillings. Hampstead, threepence to one shilling sixpence. St Pancras, fourpence to three shillings. Islington, threepence to one shilling sixpence. Hackney and Hummerston, threepence to two shillings. St Giles's and St George's, Bloomsbury, threepence to three shillings. Strand, fourpence to two shillings sixpence. Holborn, fourpence to two shillings sixpence. Clerkenwell, threepence to one shilling sixpence. St Luke's, threepence to one shilling sixpence. East London, threepence to one shilling sixpence. West London, fourpence to two shilling sixpence. London City, sixpence to two shilling sixpence. Shoreditch, threepence to one shilling. Bethnal Green, threepence to one shilling. Whitechapel, fourpence to one shilling sixpence. 
St. George's in the East and Limehouse, threepence to one shilling. Stepney, threepence to one shilling sixpence. Poplar, fourpence to two shillings. St. George's, St. Olaves and St. Saviour's, Southwark, threepence to one shilling sixpence. Bermondsey, threepence to ninepence. Walworth and Newington, fourpence to one shilling sixpence. Wandsworth, fourpence to one shilling sixpence. Lambeth, threepence to one shilling. Camberwell, fourpence to two shillings. Clapham, Brixton and Tooting, fourpence to two shillings sixpence. Rotherith, threepence to one shilling sixpence. Greenwich, threepence to one shilling sixpence. Woolwich, threepence to two shillings sixpence. Lewisham, sixpence to three shillings. Note, the single-handed and the nullers generally charge a penny less than the prices above given. There are three different types of soot. The best is produced purely from coal. The next in value is that which proceeds from the combustion of vegetable refuse along with the coal, as in cases where potato peelings, cabbage leaves and the like are burnt in the fires of the poorer classes, while the soot produced from wood fires is, I am told, scarcely worth carriage. Wood soot, however, is generally mixed with that from coal and sold as the superior kind. Not only is there a difference in value in the various kinds of soot, but there is also a vast difference in the weight. A bushel of pure coal soot will not weigh above four pounds. That produced from the combustion of coal and vegetable refuse will weigh nearly thrice as much, while that from wood fires is, I am assured, nearly ten times heavier than from coal. I have not heard that the introduction of free trade has had any influence on the value of soot, or in reducing the wages of the operatives. The same wages are paid to the operatives whether soot sells at a high or low price. End of section 66